take a deep breath. Um, uh, I, I, um, I, I, have a, I have a job to do this morning, and um, if I do my job right, by the end of me doing my job, you will have heard from the Lord. Sorry if you think that's a blunt statement, but that's true. If I do my job right, you will have heard from the Lord because He spoke to me about what to talk to you about. And if I do my job right, then you will have heard from the Lord, not just from, from me. Here's what I just felt like the Lord said, and this is what I want you to do. Just, just really deliberately turn your eyes on the Lord right now. I know you've probably already been doing it, but you can be distracted by this and that or, you know, things going on in your life or in your week. When God was about to speak to Job, he said this to him. Brace yourself like a man. Well, that, you know, that applies to the men in the room, but also brace yourself like a woman. Brace yourself and I will speak to you. I looked up the word brace. It means to gird yourself. It means to prepare yourself. So Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you're here. We fix our eyes on you. We receive your anointing. It's your anointing that breaks the yoke. It's not human oratory. It's your anointing. It's your, it's your supernatural presence. It's your power. It's your voice that we want to hear. It's you that we've gathered for today. We receive you again, Holy Spirit, right now. We receive you right now, Holy Spirit. We receive you right now, Spirit of the living God. Come, be amongst us. Let your voice, your presence, your anointing, your power be amongst us, be manifest amongst us. In the name of Jesus, we thank you and we love you, Holy Spirit. We love you and we welcome you. Hallelujah. Now, if you're standing next to someone that you're comfortable to do this with, just turn to them and say, right, I'm braced to hear from God. Are you ready? <clears throat> Thank you. I thought you were. Um, I thought you were very um, restrained when we were singing. When we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more. How can you restrain yourself singing that? How can you restrain yourself, even as I can make you consider that? When we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more. What about this? We'll enter in. As the wedding bell, well, there's the wedding bells. As the wedding bells ring, <clears throat> goodness gracious me! <clears throat> oh, great! Um, so um, I'm going to be uh, actually Isaac. Brace yourself. You're going to be my volunteer this morning in a minute. So just brace yourself. You can hold on to the pole, but you'll still be coming, or else you'll be walking home. Oh, he's got the keys. I'll be walking home. Um, just before I get to this message that involves my, my bag of goodies here, uh, I just want to uh, talk to you briefly, and uh, this may sound like I'm attempting to be prophetic, but I think it's just stating the obvious. We are in a time of just great transition. It's happening in the world everywhere you look. Like, if you, if you, if, if, if you five years ago could have looked at news websites today. So if you five years ago, 2017, could look at news websites from 2022, you wouldn't have believed them. You would have, been, you would have said to the person showing you, you're kidding me, that's not happening. Would you agree with that? Who would have, who would have thought that uh, we would be seeing the things that we are seeing? Economic things, social things, governmental actions, um, assault on uh, uh, a number of things that we just thought 
were going to be there forever. Um, this transition is happening in the church too, and I just want to share a couple of things with you, and some of you might think I've gone a bit batty with this, but uh, I'm absolutely convinced that I'm, uh, that I'm right. <laughs> uh, but I'm convinced in a way like before the Lord, not just like this is my opinion. Uh, I felt like the Lord said to me um, uh, about two years ago regarding the church, he said uh, a lot of things that you consider to be assets are going to become liabilities. Not necessarily referring to one specific church, but to the church in general. And he spoke to me about the church's inflexibility. Our inflexibility, uh, our, our difficulty to respond to change, uh, our building around human personalities, and we're in a time now where, uh, where that is being radically shaken and changed, um, uh, our centralized structure, uh, and our large crowds that are primarily spectators, where nine-tenths of the people are watching one-tenth We've actually got things flipped upside down. The fivefold ministry exists. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers exist to equip the saints for works of service. But you flip it up the other way, and the saints are watching the fivefold do the works of service, and that's back to front. Uh, I also, this one you might consider a little controversial, but I felt like the Lord said that large buildings with big signs that have big debts and high running costs are going to become a great liability. Uh, the other transition that I think that we are in right now, well, here's a whole bunch of them. We're in a transition of how we as the church uh, see and know Jesus. We're moving from our emphasis being on the suffering Savior to the glorious soon coming warrior king. That we're moving from an emphasis on restoration to actually an emphasis on accountability that I am accountable to do the good works that he appointed me for and that he wants me and expects me to be fruitful. It's not to say there is no restoration or there's no need for that to be spoken, but something is shifting uh, because the cloud is moving. Uh, we're moving from uh, we come to church to, to listen and to receive we have to come now with the mindset of I need to be equipped and I need to be empowered and I'm here not to get, but I'm here to give so that I can play my part in what God is up to. Uh, we're moving from just being in the place where we're saying, Holy Spirit, come to us, to going, oh, the cloud is moving. We are going to go where you're going. I still want to pray, Holy Spirit, come. But I actually feel like, like I was in my room uh, down at Raging Fire, a conference I was at, and I was saying, Holy Spirit, come. And I felt like he said, no. And I'm like, what? And it was just like he said, no, no. And it was, like, it was like I was standing here saying, Holy Spirit, come. And he said, no, because he was moving. We're moving from being passive to being active. And we're moving also to a new phase and expression of what spiritual warfare looks like. We're moving from... Oh, 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 we've done something to our foot back there. I think, I think there was probably more noise than injury. Would that be fair to say? Um, this is a large one. I haven't got time to do this now, but we're moving from the church preaching the broad pathway to the church preaching the narrow pathway. Come to church, Jesus will take all your problems away. You'll be wealthy and prosperous and happy and comfortable. And that's the broad pathway which leads to destruction. And we're seeing destruction in the church where that's what's been preached. It's not just an ultimate destruction. God himself will begin to destroy that. Anyway, I, I, just, I told you that that's a bigger topic. We're going to preach the narrow pathway. We're going to move in prayer from praying you sure, do, you want to, shall I, do you want to do this? We're going to move from praying lazy dominion prayers where we just empty, you know, we're just like, oh, well, you know, on earth as in heaven without any context of what Jesus was actually saying when he gave that to us as a model prayer. It wasn't just everything on the earth is going to become so good. The world's just going to get better and better and better until you fixed it up so nice. Jesus comes back to the world that we fixed. 
that's the foundation, in my opinion, for the great falling away, because the exact opposite is what will unfold. We're going to move from that, you know, praying our lazy dominion prayers to actually looking up at, like in the book of Revelation and saying, Lord Jesus, break the seals, unloose, unleash your judgments on the earth because we want you to return. Because see, eternity is beginning to bear down on us. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back a week from tomorrow, but we're moving from, from it all being about this world and being comfortable in this realm to actually starting to look at the glorious moment where Jesus will split the sky, sit on his throne in Jerusalem, the devil gets thrown in a hole for a thousand years, and there's perfect justice on the earth. Hallelujah. So we're moving from uh, having our emphasis on this age to our emphasis being also on the age to come. And I was thinking about one of the, when you talk like that, sometimes people will say, ah, well, we don't want to be so heavenly focused. We're of no earthly use. What a foolish thing to say. Because when you look through history, the people that have actually been heaven focused have been of immense earthly use because they know what they're doing. Sure, we can become, you know, there are people that get airy-fairy, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we are truly focused on the age which is to come, we start realizing this. Men, women, and children everywhere need to hear the gospel. They need to at least be presented with the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond. Amen? Okay, righto. You doing okay? Are we still friends so far? Some of you look like you're reassessing that. <laughs> So this is what happened to me uh, two weeks ago today. I was, I was at the Raging Fire Conference in Lower Hutt. And I was sitting there uh, before the preaching. So I was sitting there during the worship. And the Lord started speaking to me. And I started writing furiously on my, on my phone, you know, <laughs> writing furiously on my phone uh, about resurrection. And particularly about one line in the resurrection of Lazarus of Bethany. And so I'm madly writing this down, and then the preacher got up to preach, and, and I stopped writing, and I listened, and she stood there and preached exactly from the notes I'd just written. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I, I turned to the person beside me, and I said, look at these notes. She said, oh, did you just take those? I said, look at the timestamp on them. She started preaching at 11.08, and my timestamp was 11.07. So she, it was like, wow, look at that. So that's why I'm convinced that, uh, that if I do my job right, I, you will have heard from God, not just from me. So in John 11, verse 25, Jesus is talking uh, to Martha. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So we understand this. As believers in Christ, we are crucified with him. That's a mystery. And then we are also resurrected with him. So the life wholeheartedly surrendered to him will surely be resurrected by him and with him. This is the great hope of the church. The great hope of the church is that this life is not the whole story. In fact, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. Why? Because the life of humility, the life of sacrifice, the life of surrender, the life of service only makes sense if we have a hope that goes beyond this life. If this life is it, then you should gather as much as you can. You should try and dominate as much as you can. You should be as selfish as you can because if this is it. But when people have that mindset and you start living with eternity in mind, you start living sacrificially, you start doing crazy things like serving other people or giving money away or, or even in a very small way, giving up your Sunday morning to go gather and sing some songs and listen to someone prattling on. Hopefully there's more than that going on. It doesn't make sense. So at the end of our lives, every human being will experience resurrection. 
Every single one. You remember Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats? And at the end of the parable, so he's talking about, he's talking about the sheep who were those following him and the goats, those who were rejecting him. The sheep were, were, were doing things unto Jesus and the goats were ignoring him. The sheep were in doing things unto Jesus. They were serving those around them. It talks about visiting the prisoners, feeding the hungry. And the goats were rejecting him and rejecting what he was asking them to do. And then in Matthew 25, 46, at the end of it, Jesus says, talking about the goats, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So this is the promise, but this is also the warning that cannot be lost in the midst of all that's been going on around us, that eternal reward and eternal punishment are at stake. So what does that require of you and me? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message. The message of the church is very simple. Be reconciled to God. The man Jesus has made a way, be reconciled to God. That doesn't mean we can't talk about important things like fishing. It just means our message is not fishing. It doesn't mean we can't have an opinion about politics. I have opinions about politics. I'm sure you do too. But our message is not politics. We implore you, be reconciled to God. So it's vital that we stay on message because when we're on message, then we can stay on our mission. Amen, Kristen. Thank you. You're doing well. Keep it going. Good boy. So let's talk for a moment about resurrection. Who would like to talk about resurrection? Okay, good. Say resurrection. Let's talk about resurrection to eternal life. If you're here today and you are a wholehearted believer in Jesus, you will be resurrected to eternal life. 1 John 3, 2, talking about this moment, says, When we see him, we shall be like him. I don't know when the Lord's returning. I just know he is. He might, I, don't, I don't know whether he's returning in 10 years or 100 years. To me, in some ways, that's largely irrelevant. Some people like to talk that Jesus is coming back a week from Tuesday. Some people like to talk that Jesus is not coming back for 200 years. I told you ages ago in our church in Auckland, I had two of my heroes preach in our church on consecutive weeks. The first week, Peter Robertson brought a message about the imminent return of Jesus. And we all just sat there like, we've got to live ready for his return. The next week, another hero of, our, of, of my life and of our church, Trevor Yaxley, preached and says, Jesus won't be back for at least 150 years. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the front row and I can feel every eye bearing into the back of my head. They probably weren't, but it felt that way like, what are you going to say about that? So I said, Lord, what am I going to say about that? <laughs> Who's right? Because, you know, it seemed like someone was right and someone was wrong. He says, no, both are right. Live like he's coming back tomorrow. But build and plan as though you've got years ahead of you, a fruitful service focused on him. But imagine this moment. When we see him. So you're either going to see him one way or the other. You're going to see him when he splits the sky. Or you're going to see him when your heart stops beating. And my impression is, based on Jesus talking to the guy on the cross beside him, the moment your heart stops beating, you see him face to face. What happens then? When you see him, you shall be like him. The moment you see him, the sheer force of his nature, you get your resurrection body. Imagine if it were to happen while we're here. 
Imagine, imagine it were to happen in the context of us being alive on the day that he returns. When you see him, when you look up and you see him, no one's going... Yeah. Years ago, I went to see Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And I did that, not because I was never really into Lord of the Rings. I just, I didn't like Lord of the Rings. I, I like Narnia. You ask Isaac, I like Narnia. But I never got into Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. But it's sort of back there in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was almost like your patriotic duty. Because New Zealanders, you know, they'd, they'd put the Lord of the Rings on aeroplanes and, and, and we were kind of, no, it was in the 2000s. It wasn't as far back as the 90s. It was our patriotic duty. So I went to Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And I sat there in the theater, and the movie was like nine hours and 45 minutes long. And I, I fell asleep. I completely fell asleep. I was out cold in the movie theater. I can't remember who I went with, but I was out cold and snoring. And people say, how can you fall asleep with you know, all these beautiful, amazing special effects? How could you fall asleep? It's because... We're all created to see some special effects, but it's not, it's not CGI. It's not, it's, not, it's not digitally enhanced people running around wearing plastic hairy feet. It's a man appearing in the sky with eyes of blue fire, a face seven times brighter than the sun, a sword coming out of his mouth, hair like wool, angels and seraphim and cherubim. That's what we're made for. And when you see him, you'll be like him. You get a body like his. There'll be no running and hiding in that moment. Imagine you're standing next to someone that's kind of being, you know, being the pretend Christian, and Jesus, you know, you, and that, no, they don't. <laughs> Can't repeat that. When we see him, we will be like him, and when we see him, he will be thoroughly and totally and absolutely 5,000 times more than worth it all. He will be worth it all. He'll be worth every dark day, every challenge, every obstacle, every risk, every pain. He will have been worth it all. And a bazillion, that's the official number, a bazillion times more. When we see him, we shall be like him. But you know what? Between now and then, Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. He's not just the resurrection and the life on the last day. Between now and then, he is still the resurrection and the life. And in this life, as we see him, we are becoming like him. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image as his glory from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the journey of the believing life. Ongoing, progressive transformation. Guess what? How many, how many of you were saved? How many of you, you know, like me, there's a date you can remember on that day I was saved. I gave my heart to the Lord. How many of you were saved? Guess what? You're not just were saved. You're still being saved as you work it out day by day. And one day when Jesus appears, we will be saved. Okay, Isaac, can you come out here? Come sit on the chair. This is my son, Isaac, for those of you that don't know. He's a COVID survivor. Recent COVID survivor. Had it yesterday. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. I know some people can't joke about that. So I want you to think for a moment about Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, a family from a place called Bethany. Lazarus and his family uh, were friends of Jesus. And when Lazarus was around 30 years old, uh, he died. Doesn't say why he died, but he got sick and he died. It was unexpected. It was sudden. Of course, he's 30 years old. It was COVID. Like I say, yesterday. No, really, no. 
John 11, verse 38. So you, you know the story, you know, Lazarus dies, Jesus is away. He's only two miles away in Jerusalem, but he stays where he is for three days. And then finally he comes to Bethany and he uh, gets taken to the tomb. And here, here it is here, John eleven thirty-eight. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour. In one version of the Bible, it actually says, behold, he stinketh. I like that. By this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take the grave clothes off him and let him go. Right, Ken, I'm short on hands. Can you help me? I want you to, these are all clean. I want you to just sort of wrap Isaac up in these. Yeah, there's a rag. I made sure it didn't have any cockroaches. Yeah, these are, these are my boat towels, not fishy. Let's just, we just got to wrap them up. Just wrap them up, wrap them up good and tight. See, the, the, um, the story was back in those days, of course, that when you, uh, when you put someone in the grave, they would wrap them up tight. A little bit like the picture that you might have in your mind. Yeah, no, that's, that's, just, that's stain. That's, that's just paint stain. That's, that's nothing yucky. They would wrap them up and, and the picture you would have in your mind of a person in grave clothes was, you know, kind of like a, a, a mummy wrapped up tight. So uh, Lazarus comes out of the grave wrapped up in the grave clothes. Now remember, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's not just Jesus does resurrections. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, Okay. We'll leave his head hanging out so that he can breathe. You're welcome. So if you, you know, for those of you that are, might be listening to the recording here, we've now got Isaac uh, totally wrapped up in, uh, in sheets and towels and things. Okay? Now, Ken, don't go too far because we're going to be uh, wrapping and unwrapping a few times. So, so Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus comes out. And Jesus says, take the grave clothes off him. Thank you, Ken. This is very interactive today. He says, take the grave clothes off him. Now, I believe this. I believe that there is an ultimate expression of this. That if you live out the days numbered for you on the earth and your body dies... Jesus raises you and you put off your mortal flesh and you put on immortality. So the grave clothes come off. I believe there is also an interim expression of this. So the ultimate expression is when the believer's body dies, even though we die, we are resurrected. As a result, the funeral of a believer is still filled with hope. At the funeral of a believer, you can still talk about seeing that person again. Ones that have died dear to you, uh, you will see again. But there's an interim expression. Just get ready, Ken. As you're living your life as a believer, maybe you took some risks by faith. Maybe you stuck your neck out. Maybe you gave it your best shot. 
Not yet, just, just be ready with the grave clothes. <laughs> Maybe you gave it your best shot. How many of you have ever done that? You're just like, you were giving it a go. You were taking a step of faith. You were giving it your best shot, but you fell flat on your face. Maybe you were targeted for destruction by spiritual forces, and those spiritual forces had plenty of people willing to participate in their dastardly deeds. As a result, you got killed. You got lied about. You got gossiped about. Your reputation maybe got a little bit trashed. Maybe it happened at the hands of people even within your family. Maybe it happened in the context of your work or business. Maybe friends were involved. And unfortunately, even the church has become very good at putting grave clothes on people. People put on you grave clothes of shame, disqualification, and accusation. How do you know when you're wearing grave clothes? Because they are filled with the stench of death. These ones just smell like my boat or a little bit like the garage. You can distinguish grave clothes by the stench of death. What's the stench of death like? The death of hope. You lost your ability to look and hope. Grave clothes are distinguished by the apparent death of promises that God made to you. Grave clothes are distinguished by the betrayal of even some of those who seem closest to you. Just a little note. When self, selfish ambition is dying, that's not grave clothes. That's God. Hello? But when hope, when your ability to see the promise, that, that's that's the stench of death. That's the grave clothes. And uh, I want to suggest to you that um, in the church, we've become far too good at putting grave clothes on people. Once you're wearing the grave clothes, certain things begin to happen to you. You lose your boldness. You begin to pull back. You become very risk adverse because when you took risks in the past, the pain that was inflicted on you when you took the risks and fell on your face was quite severe, so you don't want to do that again. You find yourself looking inwards a lot, and what you see in there is not very pretty. I remember, I think it was Bill Johnson said something like this. He said, when you look inwards... When a person looks inwards, when I look inwards, I'm seldom encouraged by what I see. And when you're wearing the grave clothes, is it hot in there? No, it's all right. It's good. It's a nice cool day. You wouldn't want to be doing this preaching in, uh, on a hot summer's day, would you? It'll be fine for me. When you're wearing the grave clothes, you feel tormented on the inside by an endless echo of accusations made against you. People around you recognize the grave clothes. Godly people pull in alongside you to encourage you, not just with empty, mushy sentiment, but with significant words of encouragement that remind you of the things that God has said to you. It's not just there, there, you'll be all right. There's something more to it. Like, like in, a, in a season of wearing a lot of grave clothes, my friend Oscar from the Restore Church 
He kept reminding me of the promises of God and he was ripping the grave clothes off me. Annette would come into my office when I'd be buried under accusation and she'd be ripping the grave clothes off. And you know what it's like, you know, with Annette, she'd not just get the grave clothes off, but she'd start beating the grave clothes. You filthy thing, get off him. (laughs) Some of you that know Annette, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Godly people pull alongside and they encourage you. They instruct you with genuine, wise words about how to move forward. They remind you of the promises in God's word and the promises that God has made to you personally. And sometimes they even rebuke you. They say, stop it. And it. They do, they say, stop. I remember one time, I remember one time Seth just looked at me and he said, stop it. I said, stop what? He said, stop wallowing. (laughs) Others like to come alongside you and remind you of why you were wearing the grave clothes in the first place. They like to come along And just subtly, it's often got very spiritual language. They like to just sort of start wrapping you up again, reminding you. Conversations that pull you back to the place of failure and death. Sometimes they don't even necessarily know they're doing it. Sometimes they do. I'll give you an example. By now, some of you are realizing that this, for me, is not just a message. It's also a bit of a testimony. I was at Raging Fire, and a lovely lady, she's a, she's a good, godly lady, she came along while we were having lunch. And she came along, and she just put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, I know it's been a rough time. How are you? And I just knew, as she was doing that, let's go back and talk about what happened how you wound up wearing that stuff. When people are doing this, it's a false resurrection. What do you mean by a false resurrection? When Jesus resurrects you, you are resurrected as a new creation. You are resurrected, redeemed, restored, set free, and made back to the original state that God designed you. But when people come alongside with this false resurrection, they keep trying to resurrect that which has already been forgiven, which has already been restored, which has already been healed. They try to resurrect. They try to resurrect. Filthy condemnation dressed up in fluffy spiritual language. And there's just this thing implied Well, brother, God may forgive you, but we will never forget. Have any of you ever been down anything that resembles anything that I'm talking about? See, Jesus didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. He commanded the grave clothes be taken off him. Oops, sorry. Don't want to wind up throttling you there. Why, why did he say take the grave clothes off? Why did he say take the grave clothes off? Can you imagine if Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead but left him with the grave clothes on? For the rest of his life, Lazarus wouldn't have been able to walk. He wouldn't have been able to... He would have, he would have, he would have been a walking freak show. He would have been like this, this, this walking, talking, speaking mummy. Not mummy as in the mother, mummy as in the dead person wrapped up. So Jesus didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. Listen to this. He commanded, take the grave clothes off. Now, this is important. Jesus didn't take them off himself. He actually commanded that the very people that put the grave clothes on take them off. He commanded, stop putting the grave clothes on. And this is something that's absolutely important for us too. 
is that we cannot be involved in putting the grave clothes on. We cannot be involved in reminding people about past failures. We cannot be involved in wrapping people up in filthy condemnation that's just wrapped up in fluffy spiritual language to make it feel more palatable to us while we heap condemnation and put grave clothes on people. We gotta stop it. Listen, as far as I can tell, In the Bible, God always relates to people not according to their past, but according to their future. Abraham, who was, remember Abraham and Sarai? Way too old to be starting a family that would turn into a legacy of people more than the sand on the seashore. He turns up to Abraham. The way I picture it is Abraham's out in the backyard. He's doing old Man stuff in the backyard, which I'm becoming more involved in these days. <laughs> he's out there in the backyard and he's flapping around in the backyard and Sarai's in the kitchen doing old lady stuff. So, you know, so I, have the, I have the old man, he's out gardening. I see him digging or something. And I, I've got Sarai, she's in the kitchen making, making muffins, making jam. Okay. And God doesn't turn up and say, Abraham and Sarah. He turns up and says, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, father of a great multitude. So he doesn't turn up and say, hey, Abraham, guess what? You've never had any kids. He turns up and says, you are future, the father of a great multitude. Don't you love that? Don't you love that he doesn't, he doesn't anchor people in the past, but he talks about, but we're always busy anchoring them in the past. Imagine if Jesus had raised Lazarus but left the grave clothes on him. But also imagine this. Imagine Lazarus before the day the grave clothes came off and after. Prior to this day, he was just, he was just good old Laz. Laz from Bethany. Hey, Laz, how are you? Lazar. Good old Lazar. <laughs> but after this day, he was resurrection man. We know a little bit of this. You know, if you're a part of this fellowship, we know a little bit of this because we've got, you know, we've got, we've got a resurrection man. And sometimes I like to talk to him, you know, like I often talk to him about fishing. But I sometimes like to talk to him and say, well, what, what was it like? I think I told you one time I was down at a cafe and sitting on a high stool. And I said to him, tell me what Jesus looks like because he saw him. Hmm. Shouldn't have sat on a high chair. It got very hard to stay there when he was describing Jesus wearing a robe that comes right down to his feet. And when he opens it up, there are moving galaxies on the inside of the robe. And when he's talking about his, I'd always suspected Jesus' eyes were blue, but he says his eyes are blue. The Bible says his eyes are fire. Blue fire is a lot hotter than orange fire. And you're sitting, so can you imagine? He, he just went from good old Lazar. Lazar from Bethany. Lazar from Bazar. That doesn't really work. (laughs) And now he's this resurrection man. And can you imagine that he was probably a bit fearless? When When you've died and been buried and behold, he stinketh and you've been raised back to life and you've seen the heavenly realm and all the grave clothes have come off, you're probably a bit fearless, aren't you? I I feel like I'm probably... I'm trying to preach well. It's very, it's, yeah. So we take the grave clothes off him. Stand up. Jesus takes the grave clothes off and he stands us up. And he says, go. Do what I made you to do. Swim. Swim. He doesn't say that to all of us. <laughs> Believe me, he doesn't. Anyway, okay, good on you, mate. Thank you. So today I want to suggest to you, oh, the, do you want the grave clothes, do you, cat? I just want to specifically name some grave clothes that I think the Lord wants to take off today. Actually, David, would you mind grabbing your guitar? Let's just get these grave clothes over to one side. 
Oh, thanks, Ken. We'll put them back in the garage. You doing okay? Is this helping any of you? I believe uh, it happened for me personally a little, little while ago, but I believe two weeks ago Sunday when I sat at Raging Fire in Lower Hutt, I feel like the Lord has just drawn a line now regarding Hope Center. He's drawn a line. No more. No more going back. I had a conversation with someone this week, lovely person. Uh, she said to me, oh, I would so love to come back, but my husband won't because he's so angry. I said, don't come back. Don't come back. I feel like the Lord's drawing a line and saying that which was before the line is now irrelevant other than the redemptive work that came as a result of it. So for us, I feel like here are some of the grave clothes that need to come off and that the Lord is releasing a grace to come off today. Grave clothes to do with our family history and generational curses. The grave clothes of family history and generational curses. I, uh, the Lord really spoke to me through a, a song that came out in 1989. He spoke to me about this last July. It's by Mike and the Mechanics called The Living Years. And there's one line where the singer sings, I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears. That's a generational curse. Jesus died on the cross to break generational curses. I recognize in my life, I have a disproportionate hatred of being tailgated. You know when you're driving? I hate being tailgated. Why? Because my dad hated it and used to rave about tailgating. Because my mum hated tailgating. And if she was here, she'd let me tell the story. One time she had this guy tailgating her. I was sitting in the back of her little Ford Escort. And she's driving along and this guy's tailgating her. And she got so aggro that at the lights, she stopped. She opened the door, got out and went and slapped him. Then she got back in, she said, wind up your windows, kids, and she took off through the red light. <laughs> That's like a, probably a slightly, I don't, I don't slap people. Uh, some of you might want to tailgate me away from here just to see what happens. But that's just a benign example of uh, family history and generational curses. The second thing that God wants to take off, I believe, is failure that opened the door to self-condemnation. Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. But when we walk according to the flesh, we open the door for all sorts of self-condemnation, self-pity, self-internal self-flagellation where we're just beating ourselves all the time. The grave clothes of accusation and the lies of others. And this includes charismatic witchcraft. Charismatic witchcraft is just a fancy way of when people pray for you and they're not saying, Lord, let your will be done. They're saying, Lord, let my will be done. Classic example of this in my life. I found out uh, we moved here in 2012. I had a gentleman, well-meaning, come up to me and say, we've been praying you into this city since 2005. That's charismatic witchcraft. That's not saying, Lord, let your will be done. That's let my will be done. We pray that you would do this. It's not that we don't pray that way. Don't even pray that way over our kids. We don't pray that way over our family. We say, Lord, let your will be done. Some of you have been bound up in grave clothes of charismatic witchcraft. The grave clothes of when we misinterpret difficult and painful experiences because we've had this underlying mindset that good things happen to good people and so therefore bad things happen to bad people. So when I went through bad stuff, I must be a bad person. I must deserve this. I see it as punishment, not discipline, as condemnation, not conviction. God wants to take that off us. Because you know what? Between now and the end of the age, Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, there are going to be some things to endure. There's going to be great enjoyment in the Lord and in, in, in His goodness towards us, but there's also the message of enduring to the end. And then the final thing I just wanted to add to this today is also the grave clothes that came through wrong theology. 
where we totally and thoroughly misunderstand who God is, what He's like, and what He does, and therefore what He's doing. Just turn your eyes towards the Lord for a moment. Let's just, let's just look at Him for a moment. Are you, keep your eyes on the Lord, are you wearing grave clothes? Things that make you pull back into fear when boldness is required. Things that make you risk adverse. Lord, I'm asking that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation right now regarding the things that you are wanting to take off us. I'm asking, Lord, that your spirit would testify with our spirit, even as we look at these things together. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. I'm asking, Lord, that where things need to happen, that you would release uh, like a reaction and we would, we would know it. Lord, reveal where generational curses need to be broken off. The grave clothes of generational curses in Jesus' name. The grave clothes of failure that opened a door for self-condemnation. The grave clothes of accusation and the lies of others and even of charismatic witchcraft. The grave clothes of misinterpreting difficult, painful experiences and thinking I deserve to be punished. And the grave clothes of wrong theology, of misunderstanding who you are and what you like. Just between you and the Lord. Is he putting his finger on anything? Because Jesus is still today the one who says, take the grave clothes off him. Take the grave clothes off her. He's still the one that turns Laz from Bethany into the walking sign and a wonder, the resurrection man. If you recognize or suspect you recognize any grave clothes on you, would you stand up? Right now? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't just resurrect. You are the resurrection and the life. And you are still the one in the name of Jesus. You say, take the grave clothes off her in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we take authority and break off every failure that led to condemnation. In the name of Jesus, we break off every curse, every family generational curse. Thank you, Lord. We place the cross between each of these dear ones and their ancestry. And we thank You that, Lord, that which is good and godly and beautiful will remain, but that which needs to be cut off, be cut off today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, all charismatic witchcraft, all accusation and lies being cut off in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, everything that caused one, these ones to become risk adverse, even the misinterpreting of difficulties and challenges. Thank you, Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. Take 
the grave clothes off. Thank you, Lord. Resurrection. Resurrection. The grave clothes coming off in Jesus' name. And off this fellowship, in the name of Jesus, the grave clothes come off. Thank you, Lord. You, you brought this church into existence. You called for this church to exist. And I thank you, Lord, for the things that you have planned that you will do, the, the places that you will lead us, the things that you will do. Hallelujah. We speak over even this Hope Center Fellowship. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. In the name of Jesus, we come into alignment and into agreement with what you're saying. Take the grave clothes off in Jesus' name. Take the grave clothes off, Steve, in Jesus' name. Take them off. Take the grave clothes off, Marianne, in Jesus' name. Off you come. In the name of Jesus. Off, Howard and Jill. Off in the name of Jesus. Off you come in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You are the resurrection and the life and your blood is enough. And by your blood shed on the cross and by the empty tomb, hallelujah, every grave cloth comes off in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. 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 And Lord, let anointing come more now. More now. Resurrection garments. Can I ask you all stand? I just feel like the Lord is now wanting to put on resurrection garments. Bible says, be clothed with power from on high. Be clothed, thank you Lord, for resurrection garments. Resurrection garments. Resurrection garments. Resurrection garments in Jesus' name. Resurrection garments in Jesus' name. Resurrection garments. We're just going to worship for a bit. A few of us are just going to move around and pray. Resurrection garments on you. So let's worship and just receive for a few minutes.
We thank you that these are days of great hope. And in you we are hopeful. We thank you, Lord, that you will yet send a wave of revival through New Zealand. That multiple people will turn to the Lord in every area of this nation in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're just simply saying, Lord, here we are. Send us. Send us to our neighbours. Send us to our work. Send us to a suburb across the town. Send us wherever you want us to go. Marianne, do you have anything to add? Howard, anything to add? You look horrified. Do you have anything to add? I know I've been walking with the Lord yesterday. Uh, I've been staying with David and Lynn, yay for me. <laughs> and we were talking about worship. And I went walking and I just started praying for today and for the service. And the Lord showed me pictures of the worship, partly based on Annette's words with this. You know, we're, we're like geese, this flock of birds flying in formation and the worship leaders, they are at the front of that. But I got a picture of the finger of God going ahead of the lead geese as well. And I talked to David and Lynn about it when I got home. And I just was praying in this morning. I just, everything that could have come between me and getting here in a good place this morning slept badly, stuffed them. And, and as I was standing there and the, just getting ready to leave, I just started praying that angels were encamped around each person as we arrived here and angels were encamped around this service and the people here because God had told me something amazing was going to happen. And I'm glad that I didn't say that at the beginning of the service. I'm glad I'm saying it now because he promised. And as I walked with him yesterday, he promised just keep like the lead goose in that formation. Each one of us actually has to just keep pressing in and keep pushing against that wind resistance that says, I'm going to keep pressing in, Lord, until I get my blessing. And that song, the, the train of his robe in the temple, remember the woman with the issue of blood had to grab hold of the train. She had to grab hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. And as we were singing that this morning, of course, there's his massive throne and his massive garment. And he just told me, and I, of course, this is for every single person here, grab on to the hem of his garment and just don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. And I told you the worship was amazing, but I had to push and push and push. And I think others did too, pressing in, pressing in. But remember the picture. The finger of God goes before the lead bird. The finger of God actually is the one that is breaking that resistance. The finger of God. So yes, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus. How do we run the race? He told us in Hebrews 12, keep your eyes on Jesus. How does the sin fall off? How does it all fall away? Eyes on Jesus, amen. Hebrews 12, I'm glad you got that as well. Mm. So the thing that I was going to finish with <laughs> is this. Look, look, so, so you can see it. See it's there? See the end of my notes? Check the dates Yeah. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we, who? Me or we? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the context of that is Hebrews 11. The angels in the heavenly realms, the cherubim, the seraphim, but also those who went before us. Now, the, the list in Hebrews 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We know you're supposed to throw off sin, but also throw off everything that hinders, the grave clothes, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know what? Absolutely, we're going to vote in the by-election and in the general election next year. But who's sitting on the ninth floor of the beehive will make no difference to what God will do in our land. He will do what He will do because He is King Jesus, high and lifted up and glorious. So we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run. I just... I gave up running because I got so sick of it. I got bored and then I started to get podgy and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But the other day I woke up and I was like, I've got to put my running shoes back on. So I took myself down to the Carmichael Reserve and off I went running with the geese. I'm uncomfortable with the geese analogies. Just so long as it's not a Canada goose, I'm okay. Cartoon geese is fine. If it's Canada geese, I don't believe that's from the Lord. But so we can run, so we can run, not just so we can watch a few run, but so we can run. Amen? Okay, last thing we're going to do is I want you just turn to someone around you and just pray a blessing on them. And then Ken's going to give us wise and persuasive words to, con- to finish with. Okay, go on, just pray, pray a blessing on someone alongside you. Everyone, everyone needs to have a blessing prayed, prayed over them.